think about your goals. So if you want financial independence, if you want a successful business, you know, why do you want that? What do you want to achieve? And then start working backwards. So that's what we do when we're constructing our, you know, Facebook ad strategy. That's what I like to do when it comes to my own goal setting. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Fi Show, and I do apologize that the intro and outro, I had to use my headphones. I didn't have my good microphone with me, but I don't apologize for my awesome co-host, Justin. What's up, man? Not much. Just pulled out the tent for the first time this year, got some free camping in, and uh, how about yourself? I'm chilling up in San Francisco, enjoying some nice sunny weather. No complaints here at all. Yeah, it'd be hard to complain about that one. And, you know, it'd be hard to complain about the guests we have this week. It's a pretty cool story on someone who found themselves in some debt, started working their way out of it, ended up doing a new job they never expected, and became a Facebook ad expert. Yeah, it's a pretty cool story. And you say it's some debt. 320 k is no joke. And our guest today, Monica Louie, knew that she needed to increase her income. She felt that they had cut as much as they possibly could that end of the spectrum. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to go out, learn a new skill set, and just boost my income. And that's exactly what she did. But let's not ruin the whole story, Justin. Let's give it over to Monica. Well, so I grew up not only child of a single mom. And so money was always a struggle for us. And I knew that when I grew up, I wanted life to be different. And so I kind of went along the path of do well in school, go to a good college, then you'll have a good career and you'll be set. And so that was the path that I was on. And so... I did well in school. I went to a good college and then I started out in my career and it wasn't as easy as I had been led to believe that it was going to be just by getting a good degree. And so I struggled a bit after college and ended up following my mom's path of getting into credit card debt and really got in over my head during college. And then after college, I had expected to be able to dig myself out of it quickly and it just didn't happen that way. So I ended up getting out of credit card debt a few years later, once I got a good job with a decent salary and vowed to never get into credit card debt again, but I still had my student loans. And then when my husband and I started dating, he was really frugal. And that was the first time that I'd ever had my eyes open to actually being able to save. Because at that time when we started dating, I was making a little bit more than him, but he had more money in the bank, even though we had similar expenses. And I just didn't really know where the disconnect came from. But then once we got engaged and saving became a priority for our wedding, then I realized that I actually could save. So that was the first time in my life that I actually made it a point to put money aside and to save so that we could pay for our wedding. And then When we got married, we agreed that we didn't want to have a lot of debt. He was never into credit card debt, but we also bought a house at the same time that we got married. And we were kind of trucking along and ended up, we both had, you know, good jobs, making decent money. And then life changed once I got pregnant and I wanted to have more flexibility in my schedule that my priorities now shifted. I didn't want to be working, you know, 50 plus hours at my corporate job. I wanted to have more flexibility to be able to stay at home with my son. And I saw my friends doing the same and we just weren't in a place where we could do that. And so we talked about it and the shift in priorities. And that was nothing that I ever expected that I would want to be a stay at home mom or even to have that 
option because I was a daughter of a working mom and that's what I pictured for myself. But then my priorities just really shifted and I wanted to spend more time with my baby than I was going to, you know, be able to when I had to put him into daycare full time. So that's when we really started becoming more intentional with our money. And we started building up savings so that we could put ourselves into a better position to be able to have me leave my job one day. And we started paying off some debt, like we paid off our car. And we were trying to be smart about making that transition. And so we built up a bunch of savings. And then it kind of seemed right when my son was one. And then by that time, I was pregnant with our daughter. And I had worked, I'd started working part-time for a while to make the transition easier. And then my husband had gotten a promotion. And so then by that time, we felt like everything was kind of aligning, that we were in a good position. We'd saved up some money. I ended up leaving my job when my son was almost two and I was pregnant with my daughter. And we felt very vulnerable because this was only a few years after the the recession. And we felt very vulnerable intentionally choosing to go from two incomes to one. So then a few, a couple months into it, we weren't even a couple months into it of me being a stay-at-home mom. We realized that our savings was just ever so slightly starting to decrease. And we knew that we didn't want that, you know, to be the path that we were on. We, you know, we were going to have another baby in a few months and I didn't want to have to go back to work. And so I decided that I was going to figure this out, how to, you know, get on a better path. And really at that point, I just wanted to be able to learn how to survive without stress on a single income. And so that's when we started hearing about people getting out of debt really fast. And so we were inspired by their debt-free stories. And that's when we decided that not only were we going to stay afloat, but we were going to pay off all of our debt, including our mortgage by the time we turned 40. And so we were 32 at the time and we decided that was a big goal. We had $320,000 of debt, including our mortgage at the time. <laughs> but we we heard that other people had done it. And we were just like, if they can do it, then so can we. And so we started on this path of paying off debt left and right on a single middle class income. And so then in two years, we paid off $120,000 of debt. So just to get a couple more of those like data points, you know, kind of setting that background, how much debt were you coming out with when you met your husband between credit cards and student debt? And then what was the hardest part? So because it sounds like your, your husband at the time was already good at saving money. And this was, you know, a completely new concept for you. So someone kind of coming into this fresh, what was the hardest part for you? When we let's see, when we got together, he had his student loans and he had a car payment, but he was paying extra on it already because he wanted to pay it off faster. And I had my student loans and my credit card debt that I was just starting to really attack when we started dating. And that was probably, it, I never totaled it up, but it was probably 10 to 15,000, which just felt overwhelming for me at the time. And so I paid that off really quickly and he supported me emotionally. I, he didn't pay for any of it, but you know, he, he agreed with my goal of, of paying off my credit card debt. And then so we both had, you know, student loans and he had a car loan when we got married and then we bought this house which added to our total debt. And then for me, what was kind of challenging for us is that when we started to combine our our finances when we got married, he was really nervous because he knew that I was the spender in the relationship and he was bringing savings to the marriage and he didn't want me to, you know, go on a shopping spree and blow through his <laughs> savings. 
So I really started to, you know, try and show him that I could be smart with money and, you know, not buy everything in sight. And so that was something where we had to, you know, I had to really work on building his trust in that area. And so I started to change my habits just by following his example and also just, you know, not wanting to make him worried that I was going to blow through our now combined savings. All right, Monica. So you covered so much ground in your story and I just kind of want to hit you with some rapid fire, get the timeline right type of questions. Sure. So what did you study in college? I studied business administration with a concentration in finance. Okay. So I'd always been good with numbers. I really, you know, even back then I wanted to, I was told, you know, if you work with money, you'll make good money. And so I thought, well, that sounds good to me. (laughs) So I followed the finance route. And even though my personal financial situation was still a struggle during that time, I was trying to figure it out. And then, so at what point did you meet your husband? So you graduated, were you 22? Yeah, I was, well, I was almost 22. Yeah, so I graduated in 2003. And then I met him a year after because I was really good friends with his cousin in college. So that's how we met. And then we started hanging out. Okay. And at that point is when you started attacking that credit card debt, like really aggressively? Yeah. So I was 23, 24, I think when I really decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of this now. Okay. And then you fast forward to when you're 32 and you have $320,000 in debt. And you said that wasn't just mortgage debt, right? Right. So that was mortgage. And then also our student loans and we had a home equity line of credit. And so our student loans, mine were 20, I think 24,000 at the time. And his was about 13 or 14,000. And we had 50, 2000 in our home equity line of credit. All right. So now we're all caught up. I just kind of wanted to get the timeline right there because I thought you'd be terrified of debt after you had that whole credit card scare back when you were 23 or 24. Well, so looking back, I didn't didn't understand why I didn't keep going because the credit card debt, it seemed so overwhelming. But, you know, student loans was, you know, quote unquote, good debt at the time. So the student loan number just felt so huge that it didn't even feel realistic to try and tackle it for me because getting out of the credit card debt was such a struggle and such a big mountain for me to climb at the time. And so looking back, I wish I'd kept going. But then, you know, I realized that it's all about perspective. So, you know, those numbers seemed really big for me at the time. And then once we really started attacking the debt and looking back now, knowing that we paid off 120,000 in two years, it's like, you know, the 20 something thousand of student loan wasn't as big a number now with a different perspective. You know, you step through your story and, and you step down to one income. You haven't stepped away from the workforce now. You, you are working. So how long did you stay at just one income? Yeah. So for a few years, because so I started my first blog called Our Debt Free Family because I wanted to, my goal with staying home was to spend more time with my kids while they're little, but then also to give me the space and a opportunity to build a business from home. That was my goal so that I could have more control over my schedule and have flexibility with my kids' schedule. But I didn't know what that was going to be. And so then once we started paying off all this debt really quickly, people started asking us how we were doing it because they knew that we had just gone down to a single income. And so I decided or I realized that I could help people get out of debt. And I had started to learn about blogging and that was a great way to, to share your message. So I decided that as scary as it felt for me at the time that I was going to start a blog and help people get out of debt themselves. 
Now that we have your whole backstory, I kind of want to get into the meat of your story is your entrepreneurial venture today and just your whole Facebook ad campaign strategy business and what you've built. And I think it's pretty incredible. And I'm just curious, did that type of entrepreneurship, like that high level of success entrepreneurship stem from the fear of not having a solid financial footing from those like debt mishaps over the past 15 years? For sure. So, I mean, when I started to get really good with my money, I mean, when I when I took control and I took control of the budget because I was at home and I knew that I could be the one. I loved numbers. I loved spreadsheets. And so I was the one that tracking our income, making sure that anything extra that came in was being put towards the debt and also lowering our expenses. And so I got really good at, you know, saving money and trying to lower our expenses. And so then the goal I knew in order to really meet our financial goals that I would need to shift and also get really good at making money. And so I started learning all about online business with my first blog and I got really excited about it. And I just loved learning all I could about marketing and online business. So with my first blog, that's where I learned how to do Facebook ads. I learned it and applied it for my first blog to promote my webinars. And it worked out really well. I ended up applying what I learned and got a super low cost per conversion with my very first Facebook ad campaign, which was good because I wasn't making money yet for my blog and I didn't have a lot to invest because we were still getting out of debt at the time. And so I ended up only spending a couple hundred dollars in order to get over 200 people sign up for my webinar, which this was fall of 2015. And so my cost per conversion for that very first campaign averaged $1.26, which was really good for the time. And then I did it again, taking what I learned a couple months later, and then I was able to lower that cost per conversion down to $1.01. And so that's when my blogging friends started asking me for help with their Facebook ads because it was just starting to be a hot topic among the blogging community that people were starting to have success with Facebook ads and were really wanting to figure it out. And so then my name just started to be passed around as somebody who could help with Facebook ads. So I ended up through 2016 helping a few people with their Facebook ad campaigns and different strategies. And we ended up getting really great results. And so by the end of 2016, I ended up selling my blog and transitioning to become a full-time Facebook ads coach, which led me into my business today that has grown and evolved now. So as somebody's starting out, you know, a lot of times it's tough to to take that leap to invest money in their own business. And I know, especially like me and Cody, you know, we're super cheap and don't like to pay for anything. So <laughs> at what point do you think that a, a small business and entrepreneur should feel like that? Yep. Yeah, okay. Now it's time for me to actually start throwing some money at something, start investing in something like Facebook ads. Is, is there like a, a, a right time where you get the best bang for your buck? So I always like to look at, well, what are the goals? So what are the goals and can Facebook ads help you get to your business goals? Because anytime that you're going to invest money in your business, whether it's buying a course or you know spending money on Facebook ads or buying a software product, you want to make sure that it's going to help and it's going to serve a purpose and help you achieve your goals. So with Facebook ads, I always like to look and see if there can be a return on investment. So if you have a funnel or a model that's already bringing you in revenue, then I think it totally makes sense to invest in Facebook ads and then kind of fuel that funnel. And then that's where things get really exciting and you can ramp it up. 
But for me, I was in a place where I had a very small audience. I had this message that I wanted to share. I wanted to help more people. And I knew that in order to reach more people quickly, that Facebook ads was going to be a great way to do that. So there are two different ways that you can go about it. But really, I just like to look at, you know, does it make sense? Can we use Facebook ads to fit into helping you reach those goals, whatever they may be? And the webinar that you were converting to, was that a paid webinar or was that a free one? It was a free webinar. And the first one I was offering my financial coaching services. And then the second one, I offered a group coaching program. Okay. So it's kind of like a segue funnel. Yeah. So I was providing free content with the webinar. So a free training. And then at the end, then I offered whatever I was promoting at that time. So Monica, I kind of want to just break it down a little bit because we're probably throwing words around that a lot of listeners have never heard before. We're throwing around cost per conversion, sales funnel. They're like, what the hell's going on? So for someone who's just starting out, like everyone just sees that boost post, 20 bucks and your post can reach 10 billion people, you know? (laughs) And that's clearly not the best strategy. But for someone just starting out, trying out a Facebook ad, what are your tips for them? So start with the goal, you know, start with the end in mind, think about what you're trying to do, and then think about how the Facebook ad can help you achieve that goal. So the boost post option that (laughs) Facebook likes to offer you is so kind of them when they tell you that your post is, you know, reaching more, you know, 95% more people. And so don't you want to throw 10 or $20 at it? Usually, I mean, for me, the way I like to look at it is that that is Facebook's low hanging fruit. So they, you know, have this low priced offer that is very, they make it quick and easy for you to take advantage of just to get more eyes on your post. But I like to look at it and determine, you know, is that really the best use of my ad dollars? So if I'm going to invest money to get more eyes on the post, is this really the post that I want more eyes on? And so for a lot of my blogging clients and my blogging students, we like to promote monetized blog posts. So blog posts that have affiliate links in them where they refer people to a product or a service. And if people sign up through their link, then they might get a little commission from that. They can also be monetized with display ads. So the display ads that you see on websites can bring in extra revenue just for bringing more eyeballs to those display ads. And so once we know that we have a blog post that is monetized really well, and then we can just put it into the system of driving cheap traffic via Facebook ads to it, and then we can grow the the client's affiliate revenue in most cases. So that's a really great model to start with. You can also do what I did, which is which can be a little bit more costly per result um, to drive traffic to get people to actually sign up for something. If you want to grow your email list or promote your free training like I did, then you know it was a dollar at the time. And now it's very common for it to be three to five dollars or more, depending on what your offer is and how niche your your audience is. So that can be, you know, cost more to get more results. So that's why I like to start with driving traffic because we shoot to get traffic for less than 10 cents per click. So that can be that for the ad spend, we can drive a whole lot more traffic at a lower cost, which can then, you know, then once people start to digest the blog content, they can either click on an affiliate link in there, which can bring some money, or they can sign up for the email list if they like what they have to read. So then it can just start to build the relationship there at a much lower cost. 
So I'm sure a lot of people are scared to put a lot of effort into some of these these sites because the algorithms always change, you know, and, and I always hear people like scared of that. So how do you as someone who's in this space stay on top of that? Like, are, do you get any kind of direct feedback from anybody at Facebook before they just all of a sudden change an algorithm? Or do you have to adapt to that on the fly? We pretty much have to adapt to it on the fly. I do get the the Facebook updates via my email, but usually we, so I have an agency now where we have a whole team of people that run ads for our clients. And so we are in the ads manager all day, every day, and we will see, you know, the new notification of this new option, or, you know, now we have this new placement option, which is where the ad will appear on Facebook or off of Facebook now. So we are in there seeing when these new options become available. And then also with my community, with my course, my students, then they'll share when they see something. Because what we find is that Facebook doesn't always roll out the new updates to everybody. So, and we're not even sure if it's like a geographic rollout because just sometimes, you know, some people will see this on their screen while other people still see the old way on the screen. So it's good to have that broad network to be able to kind of compare notes as to the new features being rolled out. And you're saying we, what what kind of team are you working with now? Yeah, so I have a fast growing team. So I started with coaching and then I ended up creating a course and growing. And so I started adding to my team at that point when I was creating the course. And now this year, we've been really focused on growing our ads agency. And so we're taking on more and more clients for ads management, where we actually run the ads for our clients. And so our team, we're actually in the process of hiring more people. So we're at about 12 or 13 right now. Wow. (laughs) From 2016, and you were alone back then, right? Yeah. When I started in 2016, I just had a VA to help me with like managing my email. So I guess I'm curious, like, what is your goal with your business? Are you just trying to grow, grow, grow? Do you have any kind of financial goals in mind, like financial independence, anything like that? I just love to hear. For sure. Yeah. So we still have the goal of paying off our mortgage, which is now our last debt by the time we turn 40. So we're still working on that and paying extra toward our mortgage. And then, yeah, I mean, financial independence is the goal. I really want to be able to make enough so that my husband can have the option to retire early if he would like. And so we've been talking about that, but he loves his job. And so I, but I just want to be able to give him the option since he was so so supportive of me and my entrepreneurial endeavors. And so I want to give him that option. And then we could be at that point location independent. So we could travel more, we could move to wherever, but I just really want to have that option. (laughs) Not necessarily, I don't have any grand plans to like, you know, live abroad or anything, but just, it would just be nice to have that option and flexibility. And then also to set the example for our kids. So now our kids are seven and almost five. And so we want to show them that if you take control of the direction of your life, that you really can achieve anything that you want to do and create the life that you dream. And you don't have to follow that path that I thought I had to follow, you know, back when I was growing up. So we really want to set the example for them and empower them. And then also with my growing team, I want to really make the business a success for them so I can pay them more. I can hire more people. We can do team retreats. We can, you know, do more together and really help spread the wealth across them. And then of course, you know, a byproduct of doing all that is that we know that we're bringing our clients success and we're growing our clients' businesses. 
And so we just feel like it's this big ripple effect. You know, when we have success on our business, that means our clients are having success. And then, you know, my family and I get to achieve our goals, but also my team members, you know, we get to help them achieve their financial goals as well. So really just look at spreading the wealth among everybody that I can, you know, try and help. So as your business has grown, I'm sure your income stream has also grown. With that, do you think that your savings rate has been climbing or has lifestyle kind of risen to meet that income stream? So, well, we're still focused on paying off the debt, but I've also been reinvesting a lot into my business. So by growing the team really fast, so by having such a large team, that does become a large expense. But I am implementing Profit First. That's a really great book, a really great resource for entrepreneurs to really prioritize profit in their business. So since I started off trying to reinvest everything I could into growing the business, now it's a bit of a shift for me to make, you know, profit the priority and pay myself so that, you know, I can begin to really benefit our bottom line and our financial goals. So that's what's been happening. Yeah, I've actually heard that. I forget who was talking about it on another podcast, but it's like the entrepreneur struggle. Like, you just want to keep reinvesting, grow, grow, grow. But it's like, when is enough? At what point do I need to actually start paying myself a salary? Right. Yeah. So making that shift, because at first it was like, well, every cent that I was making, I wanted to, you know, I knew that it could go toward a course or more help or, you know, something. So that could, you know, in the end benefit the bottom line. And so that's what we've been on. But now we're doing the profit first models. So I'm curious as a quote unquote, and I'm saying this so tongue in cheek, stay at home mom, because you're grinding, growing your business. But I guess what do your kids see? And what are you teaching them about just life and money and entrepreneurship? Because they see you probably, you're like, Oh, I'm going in this room for a little while, I'm going to record these videos or do this webinar or whatever you're doing. And I just want to know how that impacts them. Yeah, so it is interesting, because it used to be, you know, when they were little, that the conversation was, well, daddy has to go to work so that he can make money. And, you know, that's how we can buy food. And, you know, and we would have those conversations. And now they see that I'm working a lot as well. And so I just think it's setting that example. And also, I talk to them about how I help people. And so then I make money by helping people doing something that I really enjoy. And so then, you know, as they get older, I don't want to put pressure on them now to, you know, figure out what they want to do with their life. (laughs) But, you know, we can have those conversations about, you know, get creative with ways that you can help people that, you know, you can also make money by doing so by helping more people, then you can make more money. And so just starting to plant that seed. But I do, I do really like that they know that my work is important to me. And then I, you know, will come to my office to have a meeting of some sort. And so it's just normal for them now. So it's, it's been neat to have kind of that shift that mommy and daddy both work to, you know, make money for our family. Are there any like specific exercises that you do with your children to help them, you know, understand the value of money and and how all that works? So we, yeah, we talk about it when we go shopping because one of our favorite stores as a family is Target. Um, (laughs) And so the kids will want to bring their money to Target every once in a while and buy something. And so we talk about, you know, making decisions about how to spend your money and that if you spend your money on this, then you won't have money, you know, for if you want to spend it on something else later that you can, you know, buy a bunch of little things with your money or you can save up for something bigger. So we're just beginning to have those conversations and also trying to get creative with how they can make more money as well because they do get very excited if it's the idea 
of making money and then also spending money. And so, so yeah, we're, we're starting to have those conversations. The one question I had is if you just had like a, you know, like if you had to just choose a number and it's somebody kind of starting out their business, they finally found one thing that they're able to monetize. What is uh-huh. enough money to get started with Facebook ads? Is it 10 bucks? Is it a hundred bucks? Like what, what's kind of a general ballpark number? Sure. So you can get started with as little as $5 a day when it comes to Facebook ads. And so especially when you're driving traffic to a monetized blog post where you can get super you know, cheap clicks, and so you can get more results for that $5. The way that I set up the campaigns is with Facebook, we can target different audiences. So you can create audiences in Facebook, and then that's how you tell Facebook who you want to show your ads to. And that's one of the amazing things about Facebook is that that you can get so granular with your targeting. And then also because there are over 2 billion active users, your audience that you want to reach is likely interacting on Facebook. So I like to test different audiences because you never know which audience or which version of the audience is going to perform the best. So if you had two different audiences that you wanted to test, then I would recommend doing $5 for each audience. And then you can see which of those two performs better with your ad. And then to continue to lower costs, because that's what I love to teach is not only create the campaign, it's not set it and forget it. It's set it up and then test and tweak and optimize. And then that's how you can really lower your costs so that you can get more, you know, for your dollar that you're spending on Facebook. So by testing those two different audiences, then you can declare a winner and then you can test different versions of your ad. So maybe you take your first version of the ad and then you test a new image with it or you test a new headline. And so then that's how you can just make little simple tweaks to further refine and lower your costs and figure out what's working the best. And we're talking about creating a community or is that just like picking gender, cities, regions, occupations? Like what are you getting to choose in that? Yeah. So Facebook gives us a lot of different options when it comes to who you can target. So you can create what's called a custom audience, which is basically an audience of people who already know who you are. So that could be people who have engaged with your Facebook page. So you can go create that within Facebook because Facebook knows who's interacting with your Facebook page. You can, of course, target your Facebook fans. You can upload your email list into Facebook and then they will do their best to match those people and find those people with their user profiles. You can install the pixel on your website. And that pixel is just a piece of code that allows your website to communicate with Facebook. And so one thing that it can do with that is it can see who is visiting your website and then you can create an audience of those website visitors. So that's how you can target those warm audiences and get back in front of them. Maybe somebody just visited your website, but they didn't opt in. And so you can visit them, <laughs> get in front of them with your Facebook ad on Facebook. And then they also give us the option of creating lookalike audiences, which is where you can take any of those custom audiences and tell Facebook that you want to create a lookalike audience and Facebook will do the work for you in finding more people who look like, act like, behave like those people in your custom audience. So with your email list, for example, if you want, if your goal is to grow your email list with your Facebook campaign, then you can upload your email list and then create the lookalike audience. And then Facebook will look at their behaviors on Facebook and find more people who are like them. And that is one of the the other things I love about Facebook is that you can 
it can do a lot of the work for you in finding the right people. And I, and we have great success with the lookalike audiences. And then we also have detailed targeting options where you can put in keywords, you can put in, you know, Facebook pages, not all Facebook pages will appear, but you can, you know, find different Facebook pages on their demographics, behaviors, interests, a bunch of different options there where you can kind of create your ideal, you know, audience with those different options. And then my last like Facebook ad specific question is, have you noticed any general trends? Because I noticed you talked about like you could choose the way your ads look. Is there any kind of general trends that you're seeing, whether that be video, pictures, GIFs, certain styles? Sure. Yeah. So the goal of the ad is to grab attention. That's its first job because think about Facebook. There's so many distractions on Facebook, so many different things competing for your attention as a user. And so your the first job of your ad is to grab attention. So however it does that, then, you know, that's the first job. So that can be like a bright image. It can be kind of a different image. It can be, you know, maybe it is a GIF or a video that, you know, grabs people attention, draws them in. And then the second job for your ad is to entice them to take that action that you want them to take with your ad, whether it's to watch the video or click through to read your blog post or click through to opt in to your email list, whatever it is, then it needs to direct and entice them to actually do that. So we like to test a lot of different types of ads with our clients because every audience is different. Every offer is different. And so, but for blog posts, generally when promoting a blog post, we usually stick with a static image ad because we don't want a lot of engagement with the ad. We just want people to click and then engage with the blog mm, post. Okay. If we are going to be promoting like a webinar, for example, then that's where we might test a video ad because we really want to start building that relationship and explain what the what the webinar is about so that they can build that trust and then decide that they're going to opt in. Or maybe we give them more information with a carousel ad with multiple different images or different videos. So that's where we get to test more and play with more because it's always worth testing because with some clients, video ads will work better. Other clients, you know, static image ad will work better. And then, you know, Instagram is a whole nother story where, you know, some of our clients, Instagram ads work really, really well, or Instagram story ads where other clients, you know, we find that their audience is just hanging out on Facebook and they're not really the Instagram crowd. So we like to test all of that with our clients. All right. So going on the other platform thing, because you just brought up Instagram, have you touched like Google ads at all or why do you stick specifically to Facebook? So we haven't done, we haven't gone down the Google ads route, but we are on a small scale testing Pinterest promoted pins with a couple of our blogging clients because we know that it makes sense for what their goals are. And so we have a few people on the team that are really excited about promoted pins and have knowledge there. And so they've really taken the lead on testing promoted pins for a couple of our clients where it makes sense. But with Facebook and Instagram, we have a lot to work with there. We might eventually, you know, branch out and add other platforms, but we really want to specialize and get really great at, you know, we're really great already with Facebook. We're getting really great with Instagram. That's been really exciting. And so now we're just slowly testing the waters with promoted pins. And then we'll see if we want to, you know, start opening that up to a larger scale eventually. So is there anything else that we have not touched on, Monica, that you want to just give the listeners a last piece of advice before we move into the last few questions. 
Well, I just have to say, I really love what your podcast is about and financial independence is definitely something that we're working toward. So I just really love that you guys are having this conversation and opening up the conversation for people to learn about a lot earlier than I did. So I just want to commend you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) We think financial independence is pretty cool too. (laughs) All right. So Monica, for people who are just like, wow, this Facebook ads thing could change my whole business, transform my life. Where is the best place people can contact and interact with you? Sure. So you can go to monicalouie.com. And if you go to monicalouie.com slash buy show, then I have my free Facebook ad starter kit, which is a free download that where you can start to learn, you know, how to put this all together. A lot of what we've talked about today into constructing a profitable Facebook ad campaign. Awesome. And we will definitely link to that in the show notes. But if you forget, it's L-O-U-I-E. That's right. Just in case people aren't sure how to spell Louie. So Monica, we always like to ask just what's your number one tangible tip for people who are, you know, in your case, either getting a business started or for financial independence. So my number one tip is just think about your goals. So if you want financial independence, if you want a successful business, you know, why do you want that? What do you want to achieve? And then start working backwards. So that's what we do when we're constructing our, you know, Facebook ad strategy. That's what I like to do when it comes to my own goal setting. So look at what you want to achieve, what you want to do, and then work backwards from there and to creating a plan to, to make it happen. All right, Monica. So the last question of the podcast is the wild card question. And we don't premeditate this question. We didn't send it to you. You don't know what it's going to be. Are you ready for this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little nervous, but I'm ready. So if you could just step into your TV and become any Disney character, who would it be? <laughs> oh, that's an easy one. Okay. The Little Mermaid, for sure. She was my favorite. I mean, with the hair and the swimming and then, you know, finding <laughs> the man of her dreams on the beach. Yes, the Little Mermaid for sure. And and if I could sing like her, that'd be amazing too. All right, Monica. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and just enlightening our audience about the power of Facebook ads and entrepreneurship too, because you have a pretty awesome story. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Wow, Cody, this is another great episode. And one of my favorite parts about it is oftentimes people get so freaked out about pulling the trigger and actually retiring. And this is just another great example of how you might accidentally make some money while you're retired. (laughs) Yeah, what I really loved about this story was that I said it so tongue in cheek in the episode that Monica's a stay at home mom because she is definitely grinding week after week, getting this content out, helping people. And she developed a skill set from just something she dabbled in before. She started that debt blog to show other people how they were doing their whole debt payoff journey. And she kind of just messed around and used Facebook ads to try to drive some traffic to that webinar. And now two years later, she's crushing it. She's a Facebook ads expert and she's built a team from just herself to 14 people in two years. I just thought that was incredible. Yeah. And you can obviously tell she picked it up fairly quick because the fact that she sold the blog lets you know it was fairly successful. I mean, you don't just go out and look to buy someone's blog unless it's a pretty good blog. And so she developed that up, got it sold. And like you said, going from one to 13 people. And she admits that she still has a decent bit of debt that she's paying down because she focused her business on growing the business, building that team out. And now she's focusing on profit. And I think debt's just something that we don't cover enough, Justin, because neither you or I have any kind of serious debt. And maybe we overlook that because I'm sure a lot of people in the audience do have trouble. They are struggling paying off student loans or a mortgage or whatever their debt might be. And I just really like the approach you took. It's like, we can only save so much. At some point, we're going to need to boost our income. And that's exactly what she did. 
Yeah, and she was able to boost that income through you know a non-traditional means. She didn't go back and get another degree. This is something she'd done while she was home, you know, not taking time away from her kids. She was able to go and find that new skill set online for free and just did it herself. And then she didn't stop there. She is also expanding the business. You know, they're looking to go out and do Instagram and Pinterest. Once they're solid with a Facebook foundation, they're going to go ahead and build that business out a little more. And that's just another example. of Whoa. What was that, Justin? I think it's the call to action. Cody, do you have one? I do have one, Justin. And this is a little bit different. You guys are going to be like, what the hell are you guys talking about? So in today's call to action, we're actually going to maybe ask you to spend a little bit of money. Maybe you can find something free, but spending money isn't always the worst thing. And Justin and I, this is definitely a fault of ours. Whether it's a skill you want to develop, whether it's something that will help your small business, sometimes it's worth paying for a course or just paying to learn information that you might not know. And yes, sometimes you can get the information for free, but a lot of these courses are packaged in a way where you're going to spend way less time instead of going learning something yourself for 40 hours. You can have this really detailed and developed course or package that you can learn the same thing in two hours. So no matter what the skill is, no matter what the thing is that you want to develop, go out there, see if there's a course that maybe aligns with your interests. Obviously look to see if there's some reviews on it. We're not telling you to go spend five grand, but if there's a $49 course on something that interests you, go take it. It might better yourself. It might open opportunities for the future. And so being a cheapo isn't always the best option. I'm not going to lie, Cody, that call to action scared me a little bit because, you know, I like to keep my wallet pinched pretty tight, but that's a, that's a good call to action. I got to agree with you there. Sometimes it's worth spending a little money on ourselves. And that's what Monica did to get her blog off the ground, and she's still continuing doing great things. And so if you want to keep up with all that and get all these links from the episode, you can check that out at thefyshow.com slash Monica. And if you want to join one of the most inclusive and cool community groups on Facebook, go to thefyshow.com slash community. Thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.